Hallelujah. Listen to this now. John chapter 6. What was Jesus saying? From verse 1 to 15. It's too long, but we'll pick some few verses. What was he saying in that answer? Unless a man be born again. He said, sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. In Israel, they call it Kineret. Let's move on. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Verse 4. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? But look at the answer. Within the answer is the message now. He says, He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Right? Philip answered him. That is now the answer. Eight months of wages <laughs> would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small burly loaves and two small fishes. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus knowing they mentioned it and so forth. Can I explain this? That's just the first part of now the Lord's interjection. Understand? On this issue of the doctrine of manna and the ingrainment of his perfect arrangement within the covenant of worship. Now the Lord comes in. What was he saying? Unless a man be born again. He says, never ever. He will never see the kingdom of God. And he said this within the backdrop of knowing the doctrine of man. The death it had achieved. In their hearts. But look at this now. He's saying through the scripture, the first part of the Lord's interjection, that the Lord was saying, Hey, you are teaching about manna and bread that came from heaven, your forefathers ate. And he said, But I tell you the truth, I have brought a salvation. I have brought a window. For there cometh a tremendous unspeakable hunger. It is coming. It is a hunger that cannot be satisfied by physical
Because when they looked at the multitude, the answer said, even if eight months of salary, the impossibility within the physical realm to satisfy what I'm saying, that by human principle, by hectares of wheat, let us plow so many hectares of wheat, one million, you cannot satisfy it. He's saying, when he said, unless a man be born again, forget it. He meant this. There is a hunger that is coming. A hunger that cannot be satisfied by human laws. Because based on that dialogue, he said, how, where will we get the bread? Come down. Then he says this. He was essentially saying that I am bringing a window of grace. A window of salvation. A window of restoration. And this salvation, the extent, the level, the enormity cannot be quantified in this lifetime. That is mighty what I've just said. Did you understand that part? That is very serious, that part now. He's talking about the enormity, the magnitude of the salvation he was bringing. Can we read the word? Let us open up the word of God. Let the Lord reveal. Let the river flow. Yes. He was saying, a hunger is coming that can only be satisfied miraculously. In fact, I'm setting a foundation for what I'm about to say. Where she jumped in. I'm setting a foundation. He's saying, there is a hunger. I am opening a window because I have seen a hunger coming. That hunger, even if salary is by how many months? Even if what? Meaning, only satisfied by this miraculous window. By this gracious window. But he's also using that to say, wow, how enormous is the grace of his salvation. Hallelujah. And so, when he took now the bread, and he did a miracle, they ate and ate. Because I remember ever since he broke that bread at Calvary and gave thanks, we have been eating and eating and eating and eating. And the children's children's children have been eating. And in heaven, we will continue eating. What I saw there was the enormity of the salvation he brought. Which is unquantifiable, unmeasurable, immeasurable. Let's move it now, child. I am now moving to John chapter 6, verse 25 to 58. But I'll read only one, two, three things here. Now he wants to talk about what he meant. Very much aware of the doctrine of manna. How deeply rooted it was in their lives. And for him to come and uproot it. He had to approach it in this angle. John chapter 6, then I'll read only here and there. Verses 25-58. But at home, in the church, read all. And he says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Which the Son of Man 
will give you. On him God, the Father, has placed the seal of approval. I am now beginning to enter the deep of deep about this manna doctrine. How interjected, he broke it up. And then he established a new order of worship in this area. He said, no, that your fathers ate and died. Don't. But listen to this now. And then he goes on. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. I like this because when manna became central in worship, now he is changing it slowly by slowly and is bringing it here. And he's about to say, this is it. He's now beginning by saying, but to believe in he that he has sent. And then he moves on and he says, he says so they asked him, what miraculous signs then will you give that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. You remember the doctrine, right? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Have you now seen how much the doctrine of manna was central? So now look at this now. The interjection. The breaking of it. Verse 32. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. But it is my father who gives. How do you read your Bible? He says in present. Who gave and then he comes here and says gives. He says Moses gave. And then no, it's your father in heaven who gives in present form. He was bringing them slowly by slowly. Turning them. And then he's going to end up. It is here now. Now. So he's saying, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. Gave, right? The word is gave. But it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It had to be scholarly. The engagement had to be high plan, had to take place at night when there is enough time to visit different schools of thought. And he's saying that no, when Moses gave you that bread, it is me he said about. <laughs> Did you understand? He said, unless a man be born again, forget it, he cannot enter. And he's saying, but essentially, he was engaging with him at a higher plane, higher level. He was telling him, look, I know the doctrine of manna you preach. <laughs> but now, listen to this. You are forefathers that laid the platform for you. That you may be able to justify, to speak about lineage, inheritance, bloodline, purity. But they ate and died. However, there is a hunger that is coming. And that hunger is so high, it requires bread on a miraculous level. And he says, he said, hey, the miracles are right. 
healings are true and right. The anointing is right. He said, tell me, what is the message? Which is the way? Show us the way. Because we've been trying to lead it there. To teach them to enter. But now we see that you're from him, messenger. Tell me, message. Which is the way? Because now I want to engage on you this and know really what's your take on what we are doing. Because we know the way. Our fathers engaged with it, it worked. Which is the way? And then he turns around. And he says, that doctrine of manna you have been preaching. In fact, I am the true bread that comes from the Father. That if you will eat me, you will not die. <laughs> and for that, actually, for a moment, I think they want to kill him. Eh? They said that is now the height of blasphemy and treason. And it's not even acceptable. Did you understand that? From the manner that is so central worship. And he said, no. When you saw that manna placed in the ark of the covenant, it is me. In fact, I am the true bread that your father gives, not gave, gives, present. That God sends that whosoever eateth of me, bring life to the perishing world, hungry world, dying world. Have you seen how he has brought it here? I want to mention a few areas. John chapter 6. Verse 38. And he says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Verse 41 now. John chapter 6, 41. At this the Jews began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. And then, John chapter 6, verse 50. He says, but here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. Verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. I've just summarized for you the places where he finally brought the manna he that was talking to him you understand <laughs> he said the manna you have been talking about is me but i want to look at the disconnect the disconnection of the church from the physical realm within the same bread so now he has now brought them to the fact that by the way i am that bread you have been saying that's powerful now and then now the disconnection i must bring it out and highlight it for you the disconnection of the church from the physical realm. Can we read number one? John chapter 6 verse 34. After he had said what he said. Then they said, sir. They said, from now on, give us this bread. Because he told them, this is the eternal bread if you eat no more hunger. Say, sir, from now on, give us this bread. We don't want hunger anymore. So now, they were talking with him in the physical realm. And he's talking in this realm. You understand? So the disconnect. So it was actually disconnecting the church from that realm that the church may come to him in this realm. Second scripture that talks about that disconnect. John chapter 4 verse 15. John chapter 4 verse 15. That disconnect. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water again all the time. Whichever way. Do you see the disconnect? This is now about living water. Because he's saying, 
verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living waters. Let me explain this. I'm defining living water. That means water with life. That means water that has sparkling, meaning bubbles up of life. Like Sprite, the soda Sprite, the, the soft drink. When you open it, you see the bubbles up of life. Wow, living drink. It has life. In Israel, when they dug the well, they dug it so deep, and when you hit the water table, the stone that covers them, you have to strike it so deep. And when you strike it, we have what we call the underground water aquifers. So, you have this water, groundwater aquifers. This is the water that goes down by seepage. And if you meet the charged carbon rocks, so they become both physical, chemical, and biological filters for the water as it seeps down. Catch bacteria, stop it. Catch sediments, stop it. Chemicals, stop it. The carbon-rich rocks, they filter it out. So that is pure water, pure. And that water, because of being down there, is moving at a pressure. Has pressure. So, that's why they call it living water. So when you strike the water table, the borehole, gushes out with the bubbles up of life. Do you understand the context with which this woman was speaking? So that's why she was worried about him. She was saying, how can you talk about living water, which means that which is really deep, and you don't have a door and a string for fetching? So you understand her understanding of this? Yes. So now, in this engagement, he said, I wish you knew you would have asked him for living water. And then that is where he is talking at this spiritual plane, and the church is speaking at the physical plane. So he's trying to disconnect the church from the earthly realm so that she may be in the same plane. Are you seeing another one? The bread and now this one, right? And then now look at what she says. Verse 11. He said, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flock and their hearts? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Meaning, it will exhibit, it will present the bubbles up of life. That is now another disconnect. And then he says, eh? The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. That is the disconnection again. Disconnect. Are we together? Can I give another one? That's the second one. The third one of the disconnection. John chapter 3 verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus said. Surely he cannot enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born again. He cannot go back to the stomach. Another disconnection. Hallelujah. But let me move on. Another one. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verses 1 to 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verses 1 to 3. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today. So that you may live and increase 
and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on earth to your forefathers. Verse 2. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble thee and to test thee in order to know what is in your heart. Whether or not you would keep his commands. Verse 3, my target. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now you understood. But let me read John chapter 1, then crown it up where he said, the word, and the word became, he said, in other words, he was telling him, look, you are talking about manna. You are talking about the doctrine of manna. And how central it is in your worship. But he's saying, how come you don't know that they ate and died? How come you don't know that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from heaven? In other words, he was saying, this is the word of God here. That if a man eateth, he may not die, but live eternally. This is the powerful gospel now. Eh. So when Jesus said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. He was very profound, very deep. It was a scholarly engagement. Ah. He's saying, man cannot live on bread alone. You are saying, mana, mana, mana. How come you don't know? Hungered thee, suffered thee, and fed thee to test thee to find out from thee if thine heart is indeed with me. And when he did so, he also had to teach thee that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word, right? Mark chapter 4, verse 4. <laughs> the disconnection. And he said to him, Man shall not live. On bread alone, but on every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then, if you go now to John chapter 1, say, In the beginning was the word. Ah, this is the word he was saying, they must now learn to live on. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 4, verse 4, before we go to John. And he saying, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And the birds came and ate it up. John chapter 1 verse 1 to 5. John 1, 1 to 5. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. Wow. And He goes on to talk about nothing that exists today was created without that Word. And then He said, That Word is me. So he turned them around until he brought them to the place of saying, guess what? It is me. Because they asked a question. Show us the way. John 14, 6. We see the anointing is right. The miracles are right. The power is right. Tell us. We have been teaching it there. Which is the way? 
Can you show us the way? And then look at what he says. John 14, 6. But listen to this. It is in the other gasp of the cloud. Why? Because remember the cloud went ahead of them, leading them, showing them the way. So they were saying, but we are the children of they that were led by the cloud. Do you understand? And then he came around and said, no, 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 no. Even as the cloud led you, guess what? This is the way now. This is the one that now leads only through here. So can I talk about the gospel of the cloud? So the Lord was aware that they were teaching about the cloud. So can we go and see what is this they were teaching about the cloud? Can we go to Exodus 13? Exodus 13, verse 21 to 22. And then, of course, you have Numbers chapter 9, verse 15 to 23. So, you know, I've already given two. We'll focus on one. I said Exodus 13, 21 to 22. Only two verses. After leaving Sukkot, they camped at a thumb on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of them. Do you see how central? We talked about the centrality of the doctrine of manna, the message they preached that informed the Lord's way of answering. But now this is even much more central. Because now you see that as they talked about the cloud, they were essentially talking about Jehovah. So if you were in some the lower cadres of understanding these things, you would give up. You say, you cannot change that. So as they preached this, they were really talking about how God himself led them. And I'm going to bring it to a very important place, which I already mentioned, but I'll summarize it. And then I've given you the book of Numbers chapter 9, verses 15, 23. Also about the cloud. So you say, settled, they settled. Lifted, they went. So, actually the cloud, if you follow the book of Numbers, when you woke up at 2, that's the first thing you checked. That's how the cloud was connected to them. That's why they spoke about it, preached it, passed it on from generation to generation. That is God himself with them. That one nobody changes. God himself with them. And so Jesus was aware of this. Right? And let's see what he says. Now, Psalm 104 verse 3 And lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters, he makes the clouds his chariots and rides on the wings of the wind. That is essentially Jehovah. So Jesus was aware of this connectedness, this understanding they had. So he had to come to them and bring enlightenment to them based on this. Hallelujah. And then another one is Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And then Genesis chapter 5 verse 24. And then John chapter 14 verse 6. So look at this now. What I'm going to discuss now touches the second response. When he said, Unless a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter. That's what I want to touch now. As I explain what I've just said. Now listen to this. As they taught about the cloud, this is what they taught. That their forefathers walked under the cloud continually and perpetually being 
baptized by the cloud and also through the Red Sea. Oh yes. Let us go deep. Being baptized by the cloud, being transformed. Baptized means being transformed and prepared the place for the promised land, for the promise, for the destination. But listen to this now. What did he mean when he said, unless a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Can I open this up? Listen to this. The Lord was talking about repentance. Meaning, he was essentially saying, unless a man repent and turn away from all sin, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Why? Because that water and the spirit essentially was talking about baptism. But we know that baptism is actually the height, the climax of repentance. So what was he implying here? In other words, when he said, unless a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He was essentially saying that unless a man repent and be baptized, he cannot enter. Can I move it a notch higher? He was essentially saying that you teach about manna. And you teach about everything. But I have brought a new window. A new door. A new gospel. And this new order I have brought. This new gospel is the gospel of death. Because he said, Nicodemo asked, But Rabbi, what do you mean? How can a man so old like this go back? To the womb and be born again. And then Jesus answered, Nicodemo, what I mean is this. When I said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see. Meaning a new birth, right? New creation, right? What I mean is this. It's a spiritual birth. But he's saying, what I'm saying is this. That when somebody is born again, that which is flesh is flesh. He said, it is not in the magazines. It is not in the t-shirts printed. It is not in ID, national ID, whatever. When a man is born again, flesh is flesh. And spirit is spirit. Two different. They are different. In other words, he was asking, Why have you mixed? You Pharisees have mixed. You have mixed it. I hear you preaching it, but you've mixed it. But on this side, to be born again, flesh is flesh. What did he mean by flesh is flesh? Let that which is mortal be mortal. Let that which is perishable just be perishable. Let that which is corruptible just be corruption. But let the spirit be spirit. But tell me, in that walk, 
Why have you mixed? Because he's saying, when they are born again, flesh is flesh. And let the spirit just be spirit on this side. Okay, now Matthew chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. That which is born of water and the spirit. Matthew chapter 3, 11 and 12. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I. Whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork and everything else. Let me explain this. That time when you were serving somebody, the smallest job you could do as you're serving somebody or the apostle, whoever it is then in the Bible, you did them. But still, the lowliest was to touch the sandals. So did you understand his ranking of it? And he said, even that I am not fit. So when he begins to talk about the baptism of water, and the spirit unless a man be born of the water and the spirit then you see him now talking about a hierarchy a hierarchy a level he's saying there must be baptism and baptism will achieve the following the book of romans chapter 6 romans chapter 6 verse 23 first before we go to verse 1 romans 6 23 says for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ our Lord. So that is why I'm saying the three aspects. He talks about the repentance, the climax of which is baptism in water, and now we are seeing in the spirit, right? And then he says that whole chronology, hierarchy, repentance and baptism, it actually denotes the gospel of death. Did you understand? And that's the death I want to read now. I've just read that death as the wages of sin. But I'm now reading what that imputes in the book of Romans chapter 6, verse 1 now. As you come in there. Now it's deeper. Verse 1. Verse 1 onwards. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 onwards. Hallelujah. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that the grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Do you see the gospel of death? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That is what he meant by being born again. A new life is now talking about a new creation. But this is powerful because now he brings in the death. So now I understand when he said, that which is flesh, let it just be flesh. Kumbe was saying, let the perishable go. This new birth I'm talking about actually is spiritual, meaning it's a new creation. It's a new being that is being put in place. Wasn't that a deep conversation, Nicodemo? He's now saying that he was essentially telling Nicodemo that you don't have to go back to the mother's womb. But there is a death which you must die first for you to be born again. A new creation to come forth. And that's why the same Nicodemus having the same conversation with Jesus 
with the Lord. He went to John 19.39 that we read. When Jesus was now the damaged body. Let us read it. Isaiah 52 verse 14. Let us see the gospel of death he was talking about. Isaiah 52.14. When he was talking there and saying, Unless a man be born again, he won't see the kingdom. He was saying, He that speaks with you must go and die first for men to enter. Let's see that in Isaiah 52 verse 14. Isaiah 52 verse 14. He says, Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man. His form was so mad beyond human likeness. Have you seen the gospel of death? Hallelujah. He's saying that when he was speaking with him that Unless a man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. He was essentially saying that look, he that speaks with you, if you are asking for which is the way, he that speaks with you has brought a gospel, a new window of restoration. And that window he has brought, that gospel is the gospel of the cross. He's saying that as they came to him, in other words, they're asking, we see the miracles are right. The power is right. Tell us which is the way. And essentially he was saying, look, the way is the cross that he that speaks with you must first go and die for any man to enter. Wow. Meaning he has invoked already what happened in Genesis 3.8 when walking with God and fell. So he said, must be restored. It is he about which Genesis 3.15 talked about. And the woman shall have a son and the son of the woman shall crush, besmirch the head of the serpent. So now do you understand? This is powerful gospel. The gospel of the cross. And he was saying that this is the gospel of the cross. That that new path cannot take place until the flesh is dead that's why Nicodemus appeared again with Joseph in John 19.39 and they removed the damaged body of Christ then he understood what that new birth was all about when they removed the damaged body of the Messiah and we have described it there he said disfigured beyond human likeness my lord that when he removed, then it completed the conversation. This conversation. When he went to John 19, 39, and they removed the body, and he brought the fragrance of alloy and some myrrh, and he put on it, then he understood, the, oh, this is how the flesh is damaged. Now I understand the new birth. Now I understand the gospel of death that he was talking about. Because their brain was bathed out the spirit church it was given right there in that same breath you must read genesis chapter 3 1 to 8 the fall so when the fall took place in the garden then you see that leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 is active that scripture is active now and he said the blood for the blood is life for the blood only the blood can be laid down for atonement but then, when you read that blood which is laid down for atonement, don't ever forget what the Magi did. Because I've said, when you're talking about the gospel of the cross, it means 
that a man may lay down his life for others to live. No greater love than this. But now, he's saying, when you're saying so, you cannot fail to mention the original fall that is being restored. Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 8, where the walk with God was lost. And then Genesis 3, 15, the promise. But then, he's now saying, very, very powerfully, that the wages of sin is death. But look at this. He comes now, and he says, at this place, you cannot forget Leviticus 17, 11. That is the one that says, for the blood is life. That only the blood can be laid down to atone for sin. But which blood? The blood of anybody? Even you? No. The blood of the perfect Lamb of God. So Exodus chapter 12, verses 5 to verse 7 must be factored in. And then you must go to the Magi. Why the Magi brought gold? They brought bitter meal and frankincense. Meaning, you are the Messiah. Your life is as pure as the purity of this gold. And that purity of life that you bring will give you bitterness like this bitter meal. But that purity of life that will give you bitterness at the height of it on the cross, that bitterness, rejection in that purity, then will come the beautiful fragrance that will atone for the sins of man when the fragrance saturates the upper chambers of the throne room of God. Did you understand that? He's saying, that when Nicodemus engaged with him and said, Rabbi, we know you are from him. In other words, how can we make it there? How can we reach there? Just the way. Which is the way? Then in other words, he's saying, this is the way. Why? I have brought the gospel of the cross. Why? Because he that speaks with you must die first for anybody to enter. That is the gospel of the cross. Hallelujah. John chapter 11, 25 to 26. Isaiah 52, 14 we read. Isaiah 53, 5 to 10. The besmatching of the flesh. When he said, let flesh just be flesh. Now I have talked about Isaiah 53, 5 to 10. When he said, he was crushed on the cross. And then verse 10 says, but it was the will of the Father that he be crushed. Hallelujah. And then John 12, 25. Mark 8, 34 to 35. Matthew 3, 16 to 17. And I mentioned John 19, 39. Can I now handle, just as Moses raised the serpent on the cross, so shall the Son of Man be raised on the cross. Can I handle that now? Turn with me again to John chapter 3, verse 14. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He said that just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the snake on the wood, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up on the wood. But he says something else before I explain. He adds, look at what he says. That everyone, everyone, he says, everyone, that is yet another opportunity for you and I to see the enormity of this grace he brings, of this salvation. Because he uses the word everyone. Whether rich, poor, president, king, law, orphan, whoever, everyone. Wow. He said, so that everyone, you understand? So that is powerful. That is yet another opportunity to see the magnitude, the enormity of the salvation, the window he was laying before Nicodemus. That everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, 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 another opportunity to see how tremendous, whoever, there is no barrier. Whether it's a baby, what, who, who, whoever believes in him, whoever, because he now says that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Did you understand that? Turn with me to Numbers chapter 21. Numbers 21 verses 4 to 9. He says, They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable manner, miserable food. He says, Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They beat the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is beaten can look at it and live. And Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone, any, 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 anyone was beaten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. That's powerful. I'll read one more scripture and then I will listen. John chapter 2, verse 17 to 19. He says, but you can start it from John chapter 2, 12 to 19. He says, after this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts he found men selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting on tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves he said, Get this out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace? A market. Verse 17 now. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume him. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Verse 19 is powerful. Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple and I will raise it in three days. And then of course down there they say it took 40 years, whatever. Can I explain? Listen very carefully. Here, Jesus was talking about, for God so loved the world, hallelujah, that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not die, but see eternal life. But look at this now. Let me begin it from scratch. Snake. You know snake, right? Snake is the symbol of serpent, devil, evil, the sinful one, the deadly one. So, it may have bothered you for a long time. Why the hanging of the snake is Jesus? How can Jesus be snake? I know it has bothered you. I know, I know, I know. Because why? It hurts you. You understand? When you reach that part of the scripture, you say, this thing, I don't like it. It's terrible. You understand? Why is Jesus snake again on the cross? 
The snake is the devil. We all know that, right? The snake is the evil one, the sinful one. They murmured against Moses. And then they murmured against Jehovah. And God could not take it lightly. To prove that, he sent venomous snakes. Meaning, snakes with venom that will bite and kill. Ah, poisonous snakes. And then, when they are dying, he tells Moses, Now, take a snake and put on the cross. And they looked at it, that whoever is beaten, when he looks, will not die but live. And then he said, now that is Jesus. Very terrible and disturbing, right? Let us read somewhere, we may see why it's terrible. And I can explain it to you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. Matthew 12, 40, that you may understand what it was. I will explain to you after this. Hallelujah. I am reading. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. I. That's again now he's saying like that. He's saying it. Right? I'm going to put together and explain. Romans chapter 8 verse 3. He says, For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be sin offering, a sin offering. He said that when there was sin, the snake comes and brings sin. The snake lied to them that they may murmur against Moses. And against the Lord. And when the snake lied to them and they murmured, look what the Lord did. Withdrew protection. Say, okay, you like the evil one? There you have him. And the snake began to bite them. Hey, they began to face the full consequences of snake, of sin. The snake is the symbol of wickedness, evil, sin. Name it. The next part. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. So I can explain fully. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ah! Now do you understand? The snake is the symbol of sin, the sinful one. And he says that here you can now see the magnitude of of the work Jesus did. He that had no sin. The serpent was now reigning here. Had lied to them. God had left them to the serpent. Biting them. Bringing death. And then they hung the snake again. Serpent. And said that is Jesus. Kume, when Jesus went to the cross. The holy one. He took up unto himself. The image of sin. He that had no sin took up sin and death and evil and wickedness. <laughs> he became sin for us. Now do you understand the serpent? Now you can understand what Jesus did on the cross. Isaiah 45, 22 is what I'm reading last. He says, Turn on me and be saved. All you ends of the earth, 
For I am God and there is no other. Did you understand now? That when he was talking to Nicodemus, he was telling Nicodemus, you are asking how a man can go there, can enter there. Nicodemus, look at me now. He told Nicodemus, I must first go to the cross and become sin for you to enter. And when I do so, it will be enormous to deliver the ends of the earth. Let us look at the enormity of that salvation. I'm finishing now. The enormity of that salvation. The new birth I will give you scriptures. Number one, he said, in that salvation, God gave everything he had. Because he had only one son. And he gave all. You can also use that to get the huge magnitude of the salvation. One and gave all. He didn't keep any. Number two, he gave him to sin. You know, you can give, but you give to holy, righteous, glorious. No, he gave him to sin, to the sinful world. Aye. That's very shocking. That he may save the whole earth. And there you have Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and the same Isaiah 45, 22. And he says, that salvation when he gave, as he engaged with Nicodemus, he said, no partiality. He says, whoever believes, whoever, you are crippled, you are blind, you are what? It does not matter. Whoever. And write down these scriptures with them. Matthew 5, 45. Revelation 22, 17. Isaiah 15, 1 to 2. Whoever is thirsty, come. Drink free of charge. Drink the water and the milk. And he said that giving that Nicodemus was talking about in this window had the beauty the advantage of eternal life, the benefit. What's beneficial? <laughs> he said, however, that salvation had some limits. He said, whoever believes, meaning living out non-believers. How about the new birth he talked about? The new creation. John chapter 1 verse 12 to 13. 2 Corinthians 5 17. First Peter one three, John nineteen thirty nine, Ephesians two one to ten. So now you know that when Nicodemo the scholar came and engaged the Lord, he was indeed a very profound conversation that defined the pathway of entry. How did he do so? It essentially established the gospel of the cross. Established the gospel of the cross as the way. May the Lord bless you. The Messiah is coming. Prepare the way. Time is over. Of this hour. This is the hour when this nation must now return to the Lord. Lift up your hands very high. Those who want to return to the Lord. Just continue on this journey alone. And enter. It's not debatable. Repeat this prayer very loud. Say mighty Jesus. I repent tonight. And receive you. As my Lord. And Savior. 
Please forgive me of all sin and establish righteousness and holiness in my life and separate me from deception lies sin in the mighty name of Jesus today I am born again hallelujah may the Lord bless you hallelujah